Hello and welcome to the Swift Coders Podcast, where each week we interview an amazing Swift developer about their experience with Apple's new open source programming language. We hear their stories, learn their tips and tricks, and try to leave you feeling inspired and empowered on your Swift Coder journey. I'm your host, Garrick, and today's guest is Tim Mitra. Tim is a lead iOS developer at TD Bank in Toronto, and he's also the host of the More Than Just Code podcast. Welcome to the show, Tim. Hey, thanks for having me. My pleasure. Thank you for being here. Uh, mm -hmm. What are you doing right now? Where are you? I'm sitting at home in Toronto, sitting in my basement, you know, cooling, chilling. Nice. TV. Your, your layer, your basement layer. Yeah, well, sort of, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So this is the first time uh, Tim and I have talked. I mean, we talked a little bit before we hit the record button a couple times, mm -hmm. but uh, this is the first time Tim and I have ever talked. Uh, I have been on kind of a break. I went to Armenia uh, in July. I was there for like three weeks, and I came back, and I, I wanted, you know, I always take a summer break. I haven't taken my summer break yet. It's kind of been like a little break, but I never told you guys that it was like an official like season finale. And uh, I was like, man, I got to record an episode. I want to tell you guys about my experience in Armenia. And I was going to record it by myself. And I started like, I put the headphones on and I was starting to talk. And I'm like, this doesn't feel right. So I hit uh, people up on Twitter. I just posted a little tweet and said, hey, does anybody want to record? Tim responded. Mm -hmm. and, and so he's on now. But I felt weird to like record an episode all about me. Uh, with Tim because you, you know we haven't heard Tim's story yet and so what we decided is that we're going to do our best to do somewhat of a kind of a combo. I want to hear we, you know we want to hear about Tim's life, what you're up to now, how you got to where you are and mm -hmm. Tim has some some um, education teaching experience or, or maybe even a lot and we're going to find out and we can kind of talk about my experience and we can share sort of our experiences together. How's that sound? That sounds great. Hey so let me ask you a question. So how did you get the gig in Armenia? What was that about? Yeah. Okay. Sure. If you if you want to start there, yeah. so uh, I got the gig through this organization called Tumo. It's uh, called Tumo, the Center for uh, Creative Technologies. Tumo is short for this park um, in Armenia called Tumanian Park. So they just kind of uh, took the name of the park because all the kids would call it Tumo. My friend was invited to teach UI and UX there. They asked him if he knew anybody, if he could recommend anybody to come teach, and he recommended uh, recommended me. So yeah, that's how I got connected. It's really, really, yeah, really lucky, I guess. Really cool. <laughs> so I noticed you have like IAN and um, yeah, I'm Armenian. Yeah, so I was gonna say because I've worked with a number of Armenians in the past and. Um, I can I recognize the the handle on the end of the name. <laughs> uh, there's an Armenian community in Canada, maybe yep. Toronto. Yep, quite familiar okay. with it. Okay, because when I was in Armenia ten years ago, there was a few um, Armenians from Canada there. Right. I don't yep. I don't remember from where exactly though. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, so that's how I you know I got connected with Tumo. Uh, we can talk more specifically about like uh, my experience there. Um, but so you said you've worked with uh, a lot of Armenians. Is there like a lot of Armenian programmers or is it like the banking industry is run by the Armenians in <laughs> Canada or what? Uh, no, actually, I, I worked with uh, I worked in uh, before I got into um, coding per se, I worked in prepress. So I worked in, you know, working with film and film and getting printing plates manufactured and stuff like that. And uh, one of my clients uh, is uh, our, a family-run business um, started by the grandfather, uh, Nubar Karajan. And uh, they, they had a company called Nubar Graphics, and they eventually, the son eventually took it over, Eugene. And 
I worked with the son-in-law or with the brother-in-law, uh, John Kazanjan, and um, uh, John and I, you know, we got on got on well. And uh, when John was ready to leave the company and go off and do his own thing, they hired me to come in and fill John's shoes. So uh, I've worked with these guys for I don't know since the early '90s, I guess. And you um, said it's printing plates. Yeah, pre-press. Well, um, yeah, before, uh, now it's all done by, you know, they make high-res PDFs and they sent them right to a plate setter, which separates out into four color film uh, plates that they put on a printing press. But it used to have a, f- a film stage where it would go to film and uh, they would cut the film by hand and strip it up on these big light tables. And then, um, so where I came into the process is that uh, I was teaching people how to use Macintosh using Quark Express and Illustrator and Photoshop to do the kind of work um, digitally on the computer that would then set up the, what would what would be f- intermediate film, which would then be used to make printing plates. And so. when you say printing plates, like is this something ultimately becomes like a movie, or is this for magazines? No, something? no, for 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 magazines, billboards, anytime anytime you see ink on paper, basically. Like so, um, whether it's a flyer, like we one of our customers was Walmart Canada, so we would do the Walmart flyers that would get inserted into the newspapers. Um, sometimes we do magazine ads, so you know, like the f- the funky ads you see for a particular product. Um, okay. As you flip through a magazine, newspapers are done that way. Uh, billboards, as I said, are done that way. Um, so, wow. yeah. So. Well, if you're interested, I mean, I'm not sure. Uh, they, they teach like so anything like it doesn't necessarily have to be computer related, but I think mm-hmm. ultimately there's like a computer component. So like sure. one of the teachers uh, at Tumo where, uh, when I was there, uh, his name um, is Arnob and he was teaching uh, drawing and animation. So right. he spent like half the time doing hand drawing. And then the next half they were doing like animation for, you know, film, like, you know, cartoon animation or whatever. Sure. Um, so <clears throat> like there's, they, you know, I'm sure you could do like that physical aspect of it. I'm not sure how that would work with like the, the printing, you know, press stuff. But I guess you'd probably end up going to maybe teaching programming since that's what, like, what you focus on Yeah, I mean, on it's now, been years. I, I left that sort of industry and I started my own business in, in the uh, early 2000s. So, yeah, I've been, I've, I haven't have really been in that particular end of the business for a long time. So, well, mostly, part of, mostly, yeah. so part of what I wanted to talk about, like with the whole Tumo thing, was that they're always looking for, you know, new people to come and, and lead workshops. So I definitely sure. want to get into that more. And uh, it would be awesome, um, someone like you with all your experience, I mean, the kids, you know, they'd really, they'd really benefit from that. Sure. Before we um, get too deep into like the Tumo stuff, unless you, you know, you want to do that, what I like to do first is like learn about you, uh, what you're up to right now, and how you got to where you are, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe we can learn more about like that printing press stuff and how you, how that, like yeah, how that's you in go the past, man, yeah, yeah, <laughs> printing press to to coding. But okay, sure. so let's let's focus real quick on what you're up to right now. So you are. A, uh, a lead iOS developer at TD Bank in Toronto. Right, right. Um, and, and you're also the host of More Than Just Code podcast, and I know you've done a lot of Ray, Ray Wenderlich stuff. Sure, yeah. So uh, why don't you kind of just take us through, like, the things that you're up to right now? And, oh. you know, yeah, what are you up to? Okay, so, yeah, I mean, I, my day gig is uh, I joined uh, TD Bank um, in Toronto. It's a We have a large... Um, developer community within the company. We do the mobile apps for banking and we also do the website. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, there's iOS developers, Android developers, there's systems people um, and, you know, management and, and uh, business analysts and that kind of stuff. Um, it's quite extensive. I mean, the team's maybe 150, somewhere wow. between 150 and 300 people all, all in, you know, so. Like all engineering team? Or yeah, so, engineering? yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Um, we have, uh, you know, like a lot, like 
I think our team, our iOS team is like 30 deep and we have wow. across three different locations. So, you know, we have a, there's, you know, a lot of challenges in enterprise. Um, I wrote an article on enterprise development for uh, Ray Wonderlake just uh, recently, I think just before the uh, WWDC video article. So in the spring, I wrote this article. I, I talked to a bunch of other enterprise developers um, around, uh, you know, across the country and around the world to sort of get some feedback on how they're all dealing with stuff. Because enterprise is, is a different kind of development. Um, as you can imagine, you know, we really rely on, on communication and, and project management and that kind of stuff to, and build servers to get our stuff done, right? So um, that, yeah, I mean, that, yeah, go ahead. Well, as you say, I work um, at Farmers right now. So we're, mm-hmm. we don't have a huge engineering team, but in terms of like, I, I can know what you mean. Like, it's not, I, I thought maybe you were sort of saying, like, it's not like a startup where it's just like this small thing. And we're super right. fast and agile and we do whatever we want. Like, I mean, there's all these stakeholders and it's uh, a lot of checks it, and balances and enterprise. Yeah, a lot of moving yeah. parts. And mm-hmm. so you were, uh, you led a session or it was like a video or how do you with, uh, you said like you were talking to all these other people who work in enterprise, like other developers. It was like yeah, a no, I, conference I was, or yeah. One uh, Ray uh, when Ray Ray uh, I'm on the team, the article team at Ray now, um, RayWonderlick.com, and Ray was actually uh, running the team for a while. And so when we when a writer comes up with an idea for a tutorial or a video or um, an article, we we you know submit the idea to the lead, the person whoever's in the lead. In this case, it was Ray himself, and. Um, I was looking, I, you know, we have a sort of obligation to produce a certain number of articles in the year. And so one of the things that, that uh, he had on his wish list was, uh, you know, is Swift ready for the enterprise, right? So that was oh, the gist of the article. So um, in our case, you know, like and a lot, of enter, a lot of enterprise development companies that have been around for a long time, we have a huge code base of Objective-C, right? Yeah. And so how do you get from Objective-C to Swift and, and, or how, you know, now that tools are all moving that way and Apple's, you know, is urging us to go that way. And it's, frankly, it's a, it's a much uh, more natural way to code if you're coming at it from a beginner level or intermediate level. Right. Um, So I, I created a, 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 uh, basically a survey, and I asked a bunch of developers on the Ray Winterlick team, as well as I, I did the same thing you did today. I went to Twitter and I sort of said, "Hey, are you an enterprise developer? Would you, you know, be willing to participate?" Participate. So I had a number of people give me some feedback. We talked about, you know, what kind of build servers they use, you know, whether they adopted Swift, you know, from the 1.0 or they're now getting into it today, kind of thing. Like it was Swift three, you know, how did how did they? What was the challenge of going, you know, adding Objective-C or Swift into Objective-C projects and then also how to, you know, go through the two to three migration, which was, you know, a lot of hair pulling and that kind of stuff, as you can imagine, right? So um, it's challenging and um, and we got some some great feedback. Can you, like maybe you can put, I don't know if you have a show, show notes or whatever, you can put a link for the article in the show yeah, notes. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, do we have to wait for the results? Can you share no, no, a it's, little it's bit of that with it, us? Uh, yeah, right that, was published, that was published back in um, back in the spring, as I said, yeah. So. Okay, yeah, so I'll definitely um, sure. link to that. What uh, what were your sort of, if you could give us the sort of TLDR, is that what it is? Yeah, uh, TLDR. Like uh, what did most people say? Is uh, Is it ready? Is it not ready? Yeah, I think I think by by now it, it definitely is ready. Um, there's uh, you know there's a lot. I think there are. And that said, I mean, and and nothing against the developers out there who there were large teams who are who are sticking with Objective C for now too, right? Because um, 
it can be a challenge. And, and a lot of the early adopters, uh, I spoke to a couple of people, um, uh, Matt Klosterman, I believe, is he did the American Airlines app. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. It was one of the first apps that came out on the Apple Watch. Oh, wow. Yeah, and um, so he, he uh, you know, American Airlines gave, gave him permission to tell me some stuff or to name him, as it were. Um, and so they, he started out with, with Swift 1.0 and he kind of went all through the whole process. And, uh, and again, it was, a, it was a big code base of, of uh, I, think, I believe that one was Objective-C as well. So they, you know, the watch was completely, the watch app was completely written in, in Swift. And I don't know if you've ever used it or heard of it, but it was like one of the first apps to sort of give you like, you know, your boarding time and your, your ticket on your watch and that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, telling you what time to leave your house to get to the airport in time to make it onto your flight, right? So... Which was kind of a cool thing. Um, so, so did that article? Did did uh, people end up like? Did you get a lot of positive feedback from the article? People liked it. I mean, I assume yeah, I so. there's certain people, like you know, stakeholders or like people in you know positions of power at companies, and right. they need this kind of information. Like, sure, what are yeah. other people doing? Uh, especially if you want to like start hiring new you know new talent and people want to work with latest mm-hmm. and greatest technologies they need like these type this type of information to sort of back up their decisions sure did you get some good feedback yeah i mean uh, well so the tldr is as the answer is yes um swift is swift is ready for the enterprise or sure Yay. i guess the actual thing is the enterprise is ready for swift let's put it that way Ooh, okay um so it's not so, you it's me yeah, so one of the things we came out of, uh, and I think it was actually Greg Hugh who once said it once in a Slack uh, and on the Ray forum, on the Ray Wernerick forum, uh, we were talking about, you know, how do, how do you sort of get your feet wet with Swift? And one of the things was, and we started doing this at TD Bank as well, was um, we started running our unit tests in Swift, right? So there's nothing oh, wrong with, yeah. So, you know, even though you've got this huge, you know, Objective-C behemoth, you know, uh, there's nothing preventing you from writing uh, your unit tests in Swift because they're not really part of the actual shipping application, right? So um, it gives it gives the, you know, the developers who are coming at it, maybe they've been around Objective-C for a long, long time or, or they're, um, a lot of the new guys we hire are all coming with Swift in their toolbox, right? Already, right. and some of the older guys have to sort of are, are catching up in a certain sense. But you know, they bring a lot of um, institutional knowledge to the product to begin with. So you get a lot of uh, good uh, good founding in programming in general, right? So, well, um, also, I'm I, I don't know for sure, but I know for me, it's it's the truth. Like I just want to work with Swift, and so yeah. if, like let's say. Uh, you know, you're asking me, hey, yeah, maybe I want you to come on my team. Sure. We do some Objective C, some Swift. Like, would you be open to doing some Objective C? It's like, yes, but I kind of really? just really want to work with Swift. You know, are you yeah, hearing? Yeah. Are you hearing that at all, or, or how? Are you guys having to balance that uh, where you're working? I mean, you said yeah. you have a lot of Objective C, but you're also doing Swift. Well, you know, I kind of wonder. Uh, it's it's an interesting point because um, you know there there's some churn in terms of developers coming and going, but I think that's just sort of the nature of, of the work right now. I right. Mean, right now, the the flavor of the week is iOS. So yeah, if you can if you can swing if you can sling some code, uh, you know, there's people who are looking to hire you. So there's a lot of turnover in terms of where people go and what they wanted what they choose to do. And I know I've interviewed a number of people. Being a lead developer, I sort of have the the chance to do that and. Um, um, we do get, uh, you know, a lot of the younger, like I said, the younger guys all come ready for Swift and, uh, and we started, we adopted a Swift, um, I think around August of 2014 at, at, on the, on the Ray Wernerlich team, we kind of just sort of said, okay, all of our tutorials are going to be in Swift now. So for those of us who've been on the team, um, for a while, all of our, 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 
coding tutorials are Swift, right? So, and in fact, like, you know, right now, they're, they're, I think I'm safe in saying that they're, you know, using Xcode 9 and, and Swift 3, right? And getting ready for Swift 4, I'm sure. But um, so we've all sort of been early adopters in that sense in terms of where where we wanted to be. So, you know, when, even when I joined the bank, you know, I had like in my mind, I was, you know, writing in Swift. I still have a number of apps of my own that I support that, you know, have a, are long in the tooth of Objective-C as well, right? So, yeah, um, um, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say, so uh, I think it's, it's a bit of give and take in terms of whether you want to work with Swift or not, or, or um, you know, I, I, prefer, or I prefer it myself. But, we uh, do. But, yeah, but there's a lot of, I have a lot of background in Objective-C as well, right? So. All right, so let's talk more about um, your work at, at TD. So you are sure. a lead iOS developer. Mm-hmm. How many iOS developers are you working with? like on a day-to-day, um, like directly, like on your team? Uh, well, we, we break out into smaller pods um, to work on the features of the app. Um, can't say too much about it, but uh, okay. we, um, we, have a, we have a chatting system that we use. So we, you know, we use the, all the Latson tools. We have Confluence for all the documentation. We use uh, you know, HipChat for communicating with each other and sharing links and things like that. We use Jira for job management. So... Um, we're, we tend to be more, I would try to be more agile than, than, uh, what, say waterfall for instance, but so, right. so you, if you're working in a particular feature in the app, you'll work with, you know, usually maybe it might be as small as, you know, one or two uh, iOS and one or two Android developers. We work together. Um, so we don't, we, even though we don't work in the same code and we don't write the same code, but we do work on the project together. So, you know, while we're working on, you know, authentication or whatever. So it's like uh, feature parity across the two platforms. Yeah, so essentially, the, yeah. Yeah. The design comes to us, you know, we get design spec and, and we all work towards that, you know, architectural design as well as physical look and feel. We, we work with the same sort of uh, kind of features. You know, of course, there's an Android way of doing like an alert view versus a, a, an iOS version, but... Um, you know, That's, so we're we're in the same scrum with each other. The, we have QA right there with us as well. So you know, we the QA team will both test both the iOS and and the Android uh, apps at the same time. So. Yeah, that's similar to how we work at uh, at Farmers. Are you yeah. doing? Would you say like half Objective C, half Swift? Like at least you personally. Uh, I, I would say, well, I mean, there's a lot of, like, you know, we're sort of fitting it into it. Like any, you know, we sort of uh, drew a line in the sand a few months ago, and all new projects and all new code is is uh, Swift, but we still have to sort of work and patch into the, you know, into the uh, Objective-C as well. So you have to know both, right? So, um, but I, I was going to say, too, about the sort of how we, how do I interact? Because I'm also a lead developer, I also um, do a lot of code review for other projects. So, you know, we have like a, a PR process where we put in, uh, you know, a, a request for uh, uh, code merge or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, we'll, we'll look at each other's code all day long. So some of the more stronger Swift guys will, will look at the Swift stuff. And then we have, you know, we have sort of a, we have to have a, sort of a team-wide agreement in terms of style, code, coding style and things right. like that, right? So, Do you guys use like SwiftLint or Swift Format or anything like that? To yeah, keep, we, use, uh, we use OC Lint as well as SwiftLint. Um, we've adopted the Ray Wunderlich uh, style guide for object, for Swift, and we were also using the Objective-C ones before that. But Yeah, yeah was, I think we're using that one too. Yeah, it's a good it's a good guide, and then you know, sort of Swift Lint can be Swift can, it can be a little anal, but of course you can tweak the the settings right. yourself, right? So yeah, yeah, you can uh, do different. Uh, 
And JP Simard has a good mm-hmm. video where he talks about like the different uh, levels of using Swift Lint. Sure, um, yeah. Like you can do like all in. Fellow, Cana- you can do... fellow Canadians, JP Simard. <laughs> cool. Yeah, uh, yeah Swift Lint's really awesome. Okay, so uh, how long have you been doing um, iOS development or like Objective C? So, like if you did Mac development, how long have you been? Yeah, in that so. World? Um, uh, started, uh, you know, I signed up as a Mac developer a long, long time ago, uh, but I didn't really do a whole lot of work. And then it was uh, the introduction of the iPhone, of course. I, you know, I'm a Canadian, so we didn't have the iPhone for probably six months uh, till uh, officially, you know, legally or whatever you want to call it. Right. But, you know, like a friend of mine went to San Francisco and said, hey, I'm picking up an iPhone. Do you want one? I'm like, yes, definitely. So I had one right from the get-go. Um, and I, you know, signed up for as an, as a developer as soon as the iPhone uh, SDK was available. Um, but it was the iPad that actually got me into it because one of my main customers uh, is a, works with couples. It's, that's the sort of um, their their uh, vertical and you know tools for couples, whether they're getting married or having babies or going on uh, dates okay. and that kind of stuff. Right? Playing, so yeah. yeah, okay. So we created a, we created a, they had already had a magazine um, and we had converted that over to uh, an online presence. So we, so the the day after, literally the day after uh, Steve Jobs got off the stage introducing the iPad, my phone rang and Diane Hall, the publisher said, I got to be on the iPad on day one. So, so we started, so, you know, I just sort of said, sure, we'll figure that out. And so I hired a couple of developers to work with me, but, uh, and we kind of ramped up real quick into the world of Objective-C and got uh, an iPad. We, we were on the iPad. I think it shipped in April. We were on the iPad in August. So, so we kind of so just went you, full steam. Did you, like, you sort of started your own development company? Is that what you're doing now? Or are you like an employee or are you a contractor? I, like? I'm currently a full-time employee at TD, but I was running my own company since 2005. Um, oh, wow. Mostly doing IT and, and software development, like web development and Flash and, you know, oh, uh, wow. whatever whatever needed getting done, right? Scripting and Apple script, whatever people needed. A lot of PHP so, and that kind of stuff, yeah. So then let's just, let's mark like the iOS development world for you. It sounds like 2010 with exactly, iPad? Exactly, 2010, yeah. Okay, so that's quite some time. Like what would you say now we have uh, Xcode 9's coming out, we got Swift, mm-hmm. um, I mean iPhone, we have four different platforms now actually. Like what? how are you feeling now? To me it seems like we're so lucky. I'm, I feel so lucky yeah. to have like, I feel kind of like bad almost. Like I kind of got here so late, but it's like yeah. things are so much better sure. in a way. And it's like, you know, people who have been doing it longer, obviously you guys have a lot more experience, but like uh, I didn't have to suffer almost in some <laughs> ways. Like, I don't know. I don't know. What was it like? We, we did the bleeding for you, mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is that true? Uh, um, yeah, I think if you ask Mark Rubin, uh, one of the senior developers on More Than Just Code, he'd say, yeah, for sure. Um, <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, you know, uh, where do we, I mean, where do we stand? I mean, like we could t- we could look at the four different products. I mean, Mac OS development is, is quite different than, than Objective-C or sorry, than iOS. Um, but it's getting better. I mean, like, you know, you're still dealing with the app kit, um, but, you can, but the fact that you can write in Swift is, is great for it. I mean, what a great resource for people out there if they're, if they're not in, if they haven't gone there yet is uh, the Big Nerd Ranch. But um, that's where Errol Hildegas's uh, sort of background comes from. He was worked for Next and then he went to Apple. And so he's sort of the, the Objective-C guy. But they wrote us, uh, they have a, um, a book, Coco Development for... Um, I think it's called Code Development, but now it's now it's written in Swift, and that sort of version uh, issue, or uh, sorry, um, what do you call it? Um, when issue five Ed, or whatever, Ed, uh, edition, edition five, fifth edition, yeah, fifth edition is in Swift, so um, you can look at doing that. So that's Mac development, right? 
Um, so, and that's a kind of a different world unto itself. And we can talk about, you know, the Mac app store versus the iOS app store. I think that the, you know, the iPhone in general, just in terms of sales, in terms of people using it, it totally eclipses everything. I think it's like 60% or more of Apple's business right now. So um, iOS is a no-brainer if you're, if you're going to write code. Um, the watch is sort of hit and miss. I mean, you know, I th- some of the large companies who were initially into the watch are now pulling out of or pulled their apps out of the watch um, OS. Uh, so watch OS is kind of weird. We had a lot of hope for it, but it's kind of it's kind of been a letdown. Um, and do you Apple have a watch? TV, I do. Yeah, I wear uh, mine. Yeah, you yeah. have one. I, I wear it all the time. Do you wear yours or no? Uh, yeah, you know it's funny. I, I I come and go. I mean, I wear it every day at work because now we have Apple Pay. I mean, like you know, who who wants to carry their wallet around or even their? But phone I don't around. really use yeah. like any third-party apps really so yeah it's true yeah i mean i mean i i do i use i i use swarm a lot so sometimes if i'm walking the dog i'll, I'll use swarm okay. to check in at the dog park and that kind of thing right but okay. um yeah it, it's 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 awkward and it's slow i mean that's it's mostly for notifications that's sort of it's big thing i'm not really a yeah. health nut myself so i don't get into the into the health thing you know but yeah uh, uh, but I, lately i've been listening to a lot of music and and i don't mind you know opening up the the uh, we used to be called a glance to see what's playing on the if you know I'm using shuffle yep. on my on my phone right or whatever. Um, Apple TV is another home. odd one too. I think uh, I think the wireless um, development is going to help with uh, with I, with Xcode nine you mentioned uh, is going to be uh, good for the Apple TV development. You know because. Um, I have the developer version of Apple TV, but I mean, you know, they only give you a six foot cable and my, my Apple TV is clearly, you know, 12 feet away from my Mac, right? So Yeah, I didn't think about that. That's great. Yeah. I, I only played with the wireless deployment once, uh, mm-hmm. but I didn't think about it, its use um, uh, for Apple TV. That's a great point. Yeah, actually, I just went to a, an enterprise um, presentation at Apple on Friday um, and they did sort of a uh, WWDC uh, recap. And one of the points that they brought up, which I hadn't thought about myself, was that um, that that the whole wireless development, the pairing, like you know, with your phone, you have to plug in with a lightning cable to to get your Xcode to recognize, and then you can and and you you know tick the box that says let me do wireless development with this. But with the Apple TV, it uh, doesn't. You don't even have to plug it in. You just sort of you register because it it's already publishing itself as a as a playable ah. device. It just shows you a code. You match the code on your Mac versus what's what's on, showing on the screen on the Apple TV, and you're paired, and you're off doing wireless development, right? So nice. Yeah. So I had heard some people complain about the fact that um, it's slow. Wireless development is slow, but you know what? When I don't have to walk across the room and plug into my TV, I don't care how long it takes. You know. Yeah, and it's, it's still <laughs> beta, and it's the first version. I'm sure it'll sure. be better. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I I really appreciate all this that you know I I just don't want the episode to get too far yeah, away no from worries. us and us not learn at least some really interesting you know valuable pieces of information about you know where you come from and how you mm-hmm. got to where you mm-hmm. are. Um, but so that is what you're up to right now. You're also the host of the More Than Just Code podcast. Yeah. Maybe we can talk about that a little sure. later, like how you got into that. Sure. But if you can, maybe just take us through the abridged version of like when when and how did you get into programming and mm-hmm. like how does that sort of lead to iOS development well i say, i think i mentioned before i'm canadian right so i was watching a guy walk around the the office um with a piece of paper in his hand and talking to all the people and I said what are you doing he says i'm running a hockey pool and i said well why don't you do that on a computer right and he's like what do you mean do it on a computer and this is back in 
the, the 90s, right? Late 90s. Okay. And I sort of said, well, yeah, we, we have, you know, a uh, file maker database. We can totally set it up and we can publish it with a cheap little web page. And, and, and next thing I knew, I was running the hockey pool. Um, but about the same time, I was also running PHP. So uh, we, a friend of mine and I, we sat down and we wrote out a hockey pool that runs in PHP and gets published to the web so people can get their stats and their updates, right? So, so before, wait, so before the hockey pool, you had no programming experience? Well, or? I had done, you know, I dabbled some, some yeah, I, I come, I'm, a, I'm an artist by training. So I come from, you know, hands, I, we got in, I got into computers because art, manufacturing of art like the what I said before like the printing and all that kind of stuff was moving towards using computers to do that right in the early 90s so um, you know I got my first Mac in 1989 and that kind of stuff and I used it for manufacturing art um, but over time you know I sort of became the person to go to for information on how to do things using a computer and eventually I went and did that professionally for a while where I was instructing people in training and that's kind of how I sort of got into the teaching which we'll talk about a bit later too right um when you but, say you're an artist, like, are you a painter, a drawer? A yeah, animator? yeah. I studied fine arts in university. I have a Bachelor of Fine Arts um, in sculpting and painting and, you know, architecture and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, like wow. literally, you know, taking paint and slapping it on a canvas, you know, or, or chopping or knocking pieces of wood to make into something fancy, right? So The yeah. last few people I interviewed, I swear, I think they were programming since they were like five or seven. Sure, yeah. And not yeah. everybody I interview is like that. And I really enjoy hearing, you know, all the different stories. But I come from a non-traditional background. So mm -hmm. it's nice to hear someone who didn't, you know, who hasn't been programming since five. So what I'm <laughs> getting from this is that that's not you. You haven't been programming since you no, were five. No, 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 no. Well, I mean, I think I've been interested in math and science and stuff like that, yeah. But no, I've always sort of been, you know, making things with my hands, right? So for sure. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so not too much programming then, maybe none, all the way up and through college. You got a degree in art, fine art. Yeah, yeah. Um, from, from, some, uh, from somewhere in Canada, I assume? Yeah, at York University in Toronto. Okay, yeah, cool. Yeah. And mm -hmm. then you, okay, so you graduate with this fine arts degree, and what do you do? I mean, you go become Picasso, or how do you go, what do you yeah, do? Yeah, what do you do? That's a good, great question. <laughs> um, <laughs> in, in my second or third year university, I went and got a book called The Business of Art, and I read through it, and it talked about, you know, how does, how do you make money, and I was looking for how do you make money as an artist, and, and yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like sitting at craft fair every every weekend and selling your your rings or your prints or whatever. Or okay. uh, back in the day, you know, the king would hire you to be the like Velasquez or whatever would hire, get hired to be the the court painter. Or you'd have you know somebody like in the age of Picasso and those kind of guys, they had uh, salons where people would you know sort of support them and feed them. I mean, they were wow. literally starving artists, right? So wow, wow. Yeah, so that was a, that was a real education for me. It's like okay, I got to go get a, a real job. Um, turning back the dial, though, you know, before I switched my last at the last minute, I changed my my discipline to art. But I was actually accepted into engineering, so I should have been oh, an engineer. So I've come back to engineering in a manner of manner of speaking, right? So. Uh, you know, at the last minute, I changed from engineering to art, and my dad was not happy. He was an engineer, right? So, uh, okay, yeah. so you have some engineering in the family. Was sure. he like a mechanical or a pro program? He was a mechanical computer? engineer. Yeah, yeah. So, oh, okay, but yeah. he probably knew a little bit of programming, right? I think if you're mechanical, you have to know some programming, right? I think so. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, you knew, knew the math and that kind of stuff, right? So you probably had a computer at home, right? No, Dad no, we didn't. Well, we had, we oh. had, we did get a scientific. I think the most. Like, you got to remember too. When I graduated, I graduated in 1984, the year the Macintosh came out. So. Oh wow. You know, yeah, but but that said, like within a couple of years, I was you know working in uh, Ministry of Natural Resources up in Owen Sound, and and they had a computer there, and I was using it to lay out. 
uh, I sort of said, hey, can I use this computer to lay out my, you know, flyers or whatever? So I started using computers early, yeah, so to do, to do, to, 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 you know, bend them to my will sort of thing, right? So, so it sounds like you, uh, maybe early on, you realized, like, the power of the computer to oh, yeah, be a, a medium yeah. to express your creativity. And I think that was one of the reasons why, like, you know, the Mac existed, right? It was, like, yeah. to be this creation tool. Wow. So that, and that sounds like that was sort of your gateway back to engineering or, or yeah. into engineering was like sure. through expressing your art. Yeah. And and in the same sense, I mean, yeah, I mean, to me, the same, I always argue that being, being a coder is created as a creative process. It requires the same activity in your brain. So the same kind of thing that wants me to mold clay into a, you know, some sculpture or whatever, or, you know, tell a story through a painting or whatever. It's the same energy that goes into creating an app. I mean, you know, uh, one of the apps I built with my grandsons is called Gee Squad, and it's you know we were I was testing the the waters in the app store because we were trying to we were having some limited success in the United States but lots of success in Canada. So I wrote a totally Canadian app. I wrote this you know about Canadian geese migrating through the south and getting shot <laughs> up by American uh, hunters, you know, uh, oh, and golfers, and you know getting picking up things all kinds of Canadian stuff. Like we picked up the coins in the game were loonies and toonies, which are one dollar and two dollar coin. Um, you know, and, and sort of wrote this whole thing and it got featured by Apple Canada. So uh, as a, as a thing. So, but it, when you write a game app, for instance, a game isn't just about playing, you know, about like moving pixels around on a screen. A game is, is that you have to have a story, a compelling story that, you know, that the, the, the player is going to want to move along and move your pieces along to play the game. Right. right. So uh, whatever that story is. So it requires a little bit of creative thought in terms of writing that story. What, it, what is the point of this game? Right. And then it's like making the artwork, you know, and, and making all the, you know, various sizes that you need and then coding them into sprites and then, you know, uh, telling those, having those sprites move around on the, on the board and, you know, the collision detection and you get into the, you know, the bitwise operators for detecting collisions and, you know, all that kind of uh, mechanics that goes into writing the code for the game. And then you have scoring systems and you want to have game center integration. You might want to have notifications to get the player to come back and play your game. You get into all sort of facets of iOS and it's all about sort of putting all these pieces together, right? So as a programmer, as an iOS developer, that's sort of my thing. You know, like um, when I was, when I'm writing an app for a client or whether I'm writing an app for myself, it's it's sort of encompassing all of those parts, right? So you know, banging your head against the iTunes Connect store, the app store to get your app in there and get approved and deal with the latest, you know, uh, issues that Apple throws at you, right? So you said that you ended up at some, was it a natural preserve or something? You're working on a computer? <laughs> I, you said it really fast. Oh, so. Ministry of Natural Resources. So we have, it's it's basically a government job um, dealing with, with, you know, trees and fish and fauna and, you know, uh, that's wildlife nice. and that kind of stuff. Yeah, so we have a whole ministry that takes care of that here in Ontario. And that was your first job out of college? It was one of my first jobs out of college, yeah. So Okay. Yeah. And then through that, it's, it's, you said you were printing a flyer, so it sounds like you found opportunities to express, like, your, you know, continue with your creativity. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, maybe you had some kind of event, the company was doing an event or something like yeah, that. Yeah, well, we were doing, a, 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 I made a map with, you know, where to, where to go fishing to find these particular types of fish in Ontario, and uh, Ontario is a province here in Canada. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, had, they actually had a Xerox uh, system. It was, um, and it had pull-down menus. It had kind of a desktop as well. It was sort of, sort of very early kind of uh, um, 
for, it was the first time I'd ever seen a computer that had like a menu, a graphic user inter- interface menu that I could, you know, visually deal with, right? So. All right. So then fast forward to hockey pool. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know how much time that is, but that's, is that sort of, that's when you really start doing real, what you consider like real programming? Like yeah. The hockey. PHP and. Yeah, the back the Armenians that I worked, I mentioned working for in prepress. I mean, uh, I was the manager of IT there, so we had a lot of system. We had you know digital cameras, and we had computers using Illustrator and Quark, and I sort of you know helped everybody manage those kind of things and, and keep them running, keep the wheel you know grease the wheels as it were. Um, so one of the things I did was I actually I took that same knowledge that I learned in, in uh, building the hockey pool to create a production schedule. And then that production schedule became, you know, a job board and sort of very crude version of um, Jira, if you want to think about it that way, or Trello kind of thing, right? Okay, so project yeah. management, management. Yeah, like a board of. you could sort of see and that kind of stuff. And, and then uh, when, I, when I was leaving the company um, back in 2014 or 2004, uh, I was started working on a social networking app, you know, if, uh, you know, back when there was like, you know, a handful of them. And I was, I was joking, say, I remember the whooshing sound that Facebook made when they went whipping passes, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I was sort of working on, and that was the same sort of thing where I, you know, had to write a login system where people could register an account and learn all that kind of stuff and learn all the sort of background behind, uh, you know, creating an online, you know, MySQL database and that kind of stuff and PHP front end and API and all that kind of stuff. And, that sort of continues into my app development as well. So as well as writing, I don't do that at TD, but in my own apps and stuff like that, like I've written an app called Two Life for the same people, the, the couples people, right? Okay. You know, so we wrote an, a- an API and we run, we, you know, have scripting to manage the server and that kind of stuff. And we have database servers distributed and that kind of stuff. So it's because it's used around the world sort of thing, right? Um, so it sounds like the computer uh, was sort of this, this uh, side kind of tool you were using mm-hmm. uh, at first, maybe to create some art. Then you were doing more like IT, you know, management, management. Yep. Yep. Uh, and then you started kind of just solving a few problems with software and yep. writing your own software. Yep. At what point did you realize that, or at least consider yourself like, uh, you know, hey, I'm actually a programmer. I'm programming, and I'm yeah. enjoying this. And this is something that I maybe want to do more and, and actually make my job or my profession. Yeah, I don't know if I really wanted to ever co- I came to that kind of decision. I don't really know if I'm still there. I sort of it's a, a you know, I'm more of a all-encompassing developer, right? Like I do I wear many hats in that sense, but um cuz yeah, I, I don't think I would be happy just writing code, you know, um you know, at TD, I get to mentor the younger developers. And I've also, like, you know, we're, as we we're talking about teaching, I also was able to teach, uh, do a couple of courses introducing some of the people who hadn't done Swift before on what is Swift. And, you know, so, and I still bring advanced Swift uh, uh, course or training to them as well, right? So, um, uh, so it, it, there's that, and I also you know I also deal with the QA side of things, and I I lead projects, so I'm a lead I'm a lead developer, which means that I also tech lead, so I lead the sort of interface between the architects and the business analysts and the coders, and then I write code as well. So I don't just write code. I think if if I just write, wrote code, it would drive me crazy. So more than just code, Tim. Yeah, it's more just, it is more than, than just code. code. That's where the name comes from, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. But I mean, was there some point where you kind of realized like, okay, I'm, you know, I don't necessarily, I'm not just going to be like an IT person or something right. like that. Oh, like yeah, I, yeah. I actually like creating software as a medium to sort of 
express myself, something like that. And like, yeah. did you, do you remember like when that was or why, like how, how you came well, to that I, realization? Well, I did do a pivot because like, I mean, like I said before, my business was doing IT and, and web development. And so, you know, I'd say probably 60% of the work was IT and, you know, I was an Apple reseller and Apple consultant network member. So I was helping people with, you know, organizing their systems and selling them, selling, telling them what Mac to buy and that kind of stuff. But I was also doing this web development thing on the side and, you know, web hosting and that kind of stuff. And I think, uh, so, you know, 2010, you know, was the sort of when we started working on the, uh, the iOS apps for the iPad for that client, uh, two okay. for life, two for couples, two for yeah. life, two for life is the name. Um, and, uh, I think around, around 2012, I was spending more time writing code or coding apps than I was selling Apple stuff. So Apple kind of sort of said, you know, you're not, you're not going to make your quota. And, you know, and I sort of said, that's fine. I don't want to sell apps, sell Macs anymore. You know, I still a Mac evangelist. Right. Um, and so it was around that time, and then and then that's when I decided I you know was going through an entrepreneurial coaching program, and you know sort of weighing what the business where the business was taking me, and it just seemed to me every time I filled out the sort of exercise forms, it just sort of said, I don't want to be an IT guy anymore. I want to be a coder, and I want to be developing. I want to be writing, making solutions, solving problems for people, like you said, right? In fact, you know, one of the things in this coaching program was we sort of have a our own personal mission statement, and mine mine involves helping people, you know, writing writing solutions for people that help them embrace change is my sort of thing, right? Interesting. Um, yeah. So whether it's teaching them or podcasting or you know writing an article for Ray Wunderlich or a tutorial or something like that, it's like helping people get past that sort of obstacle that's holding them back, right? Um, and so that's the, the podcast is all about that too. The, you know, the, the four of us who originally started it wanted to um, share our knowledge with with each other, right? I think I've mentioned on the show a number of times, and you may have heard the story before. But Mark and I worked together on a number of projects. I met him down in San Francisco uh, at uh, MacWorld, actually, and uh, we started working on projects together. And we would do a lot of pair programming. We we you know hook up on. We actually used iChat, and uh, which is now Messages, right? And we would share a session on our computer, and we were, we were kind of sort of doing long distance pair programming, right? And we a lot of time we'd spend like maybe an hour or two working on the particular problem of the day, and then we would just you know talk about business, talk about our apps, talk about our our experience with Apple and the App Store and marketing, and you know how to price your apps and you know what cl- how to deal with clients and get new jobs, and you know we kind of resolved to sort of write a book on that, right? And then. I'd met Jaime at 360 iDev, um, which Jaime and I are doing a talk at 360 iDev in August. Um, but I met him, you know, three years ago. And I also met Ray Wunderlich at 360 iDev as well. But, um, you know, Jaime and I got a, kind of got this conversation started on, on, you know, where iOS development was going kind of thing, right? And so I reached out to the four guys initially, and I sort of, each individually, and I said, hey, would you be interested? I had just done one podcast myself. I'd been a guest on one. I wasn't even listening to podcasts at the time. And I sort of said, hey, would you guys be interested in trying this podcast thing? It looks like something relatively easy to do. And because I have I have a background in, in uh, studio recording, so I figured it wouldn't be too hard to do the editing and that kind of stuff. So little did I know. <laughs> <laughs> and then, um, yeah, so they all agreed. And so we just sort of uh, met up one day um, and started talking about code. And if you listen to the first episode, we're, we kind of sort of didn't even know what we were doing or what we were going to talk about. And uh, within two or three shows, we were like, we had a sort of uh, plan of what we wanted to talk about. 
And I remember distinctly thinking about four or five episodes in as I'm editing the podcast going, oh my God, what have I decided to do? <laughs> so, you know, because I, I, edit, I edit every show currently and, um, you know, so for, for the guys, it's sort of a commitment of a couple of three hours where we get together and talk about code. But for me, it's, you know, the next day I spend, uh, you know, uh, doing the first pass at it. Something I learned, again, from the Raven Light group is do a first pass at it and make sure all the, you know, the hiccups and the coughs and the, you know, people banging their desks gets edited out and all the levels are even, as even as I can get them. And then the next night is like, you know, editing the... Editing, doing the final edit, and then Saturday morning I publish, you know, to WordPress and to t- create the RSS feed and push out the show, right? as you probably know, right? So, H- how long have you been doing uh, more than just code? We're just coming up on our third year right now, so we're 154 episodes went out last Saturday. So, yeah. Wow. And do you guys ever take any breaks? Uh, consciously, no. <laughs> we've we've uh, we've had a couple of times when uh, we didn't have enough. I think one the first Christmas we kind of took a, a week off, and um, uh, we we try. You know, it's just sort of yeah. We meet every week. I mean, I was even uh, editing the show on on vacation in Portugal uh, at Christmas time, right? So, um, yeah, we kind of we kind of get together and and uh, once a week and try and do as much as we can. And you know, we have Greg Keo and Tammy Coron are sort of guest hosts. You know, that fill in for the other guys when they're not available. Yeah. Um, so, wow, that's awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. on three years. You yeah. said over a hundred episodes. I mean, yeah, it's tough to. You're lucky you have a, a people that you're doing it with, mm-hmm. um, and so maybe that's like. It's it's easier to maybe keep yourself accountable, right? Because you have other people you're sort of uh, sure, yeah. But it gets tough. Like for me, I definitely have to take breaks um, between <laughs> to, between seasons, man. And sure. I've even like I can't even just keep up with podcasts yeah. like that. You know, I have so many podcasts I haven't listened to, uh, and so I st- I tend to think like other people feel the same way that I do. So I'm like, and actually Ole, uh, I don't know how to say his name, Ole Begemon. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I'm saying his name right. Yeah. He actually posted something on Twitter recently where he was like. Everybody that makes amazing podcasts, please take a break. I don't know if you saw that. Uh, <laughs> I didn't know. I, I guess he's also falling behind. So. Sure. But, uh, okay, so it sounds like uh, it was a very kind of a natural, this really natural progression from I mean, going from, like, you know, art, being into art, mm-hmm. as, you know, getting this degree, and then all the way up to sort of where you, you are now. It wasn't like, you know, you set out to become an art. A developer, whereas nope. like some people, it's like that. So looking back on it, um, like I don't know what. How do you feel? Like, uh, is it? Are you surprised? Are you? Is it int- Like, I don't know. Can could you imagine? Like, you know, back in college, thinking like, okay, I'm gonna be an iOS developer. <laughs> I'm gonna be teaching programming. And, yeah, no. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, uh, to be honest with you, like I, I was sort of, I'm actually surprised that I'm actually able to talk about this stuff every week. Um, because, and uh, that's kind of sort of a lead into what our talk is going to be about 360i Dev is that, you know, most of us are introverts and, and we kind of want to sit, in the, I, as an artist, I want to sit in the shadows and observe the people around me um, to sort of create my art and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I, you never... I, I never would have done any public speaking back in the day. And uh, there's also another couple of threads here too. I mean, I, I, you know, played music with the same bunch of guys for about 15 years or so. And, uh, when we started, you know, nobody wanted to be the singer kind of thing. And I kind of <laughs> just sort of started singing. Right. And then, 
Uh, next thing I know, I'm the lead singer and I'm the leader of the band and I'm picking the music we're playing and that kind of stuff, right? And that just sort of happened organically as well, right? So, um, but that putting myself in front of the mic kind of got me over the, you know, oh, I don't sound right and all that kind of, you know, everybody doesn't like the sound of their recorded voice and, right. and you know, you say um and uh and all that kind of stuff too much and... I even went to Toastmasters to learn how to, to become a better speaker. Oh, interesting. Um, yeah, I heard about that from Ray himself. He's been going to Toastmasters for a number of years as well. But um, uh, And I haven't really kept up on that. I'm kind of lazy that way. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, it's sort of you, you sort of learn all these things over your life and, and uh, kind of put them together. And, and it's, it's funny, like you... You probably, you probably, and I'm saying this to everybody who's listening to the show. You probably have more in your tool belt than you think you do, right? In terms of what you can, what you can do, and how you can contribute. And we mentioned on the show, on our own show, Friday or Saturday, um, that uh, Ryan Nystrom from Facebook had written a, or from Instagram actually, he had written or did a talk at th- at the first th- at uh, RW DevCon where he talked about contributing and giving back to the community, like the whole idea of putting things up on on uh, GitHub or like Oleg did with the, the Swift uh, playground for playing around with Swift 4. If people don't know about that, you should check it out. Right. But, um, you know, and Ryan's one point that stuck with me from what Ryan's talk was, is you may not think that you're all that as a developer or where you are in your stage of developing, but uh, if you can teach one person one thing that they didn't know before, you've contributed to the community. So that's... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And Ryan, he's been... Um I believe it's the same person. He's been doing this uh, GitHub free time. Yes, um, exactly. Open same source guy. application. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And he's using IG List Kit, which is a framework that he brought from uh, from Instagram's you know main page. They they use the right, right. Yeah, sort of their own sort of collectiony view kind of um, view. Not all written in Swift as well. So actually, and kind of related. There's another thing that's been going around. I guess like some person posted something saying like. You know, if you can help, you know, tell people right now, post something on Twitter saying like you can help. And so lately I've been seeing like random tweets of people saying like, I am an iOS developer and I have this many years of Swift. If you have any questions, let me know. Oh, cool. Yeah. Um, okay. So thank you for, for sharing uh, all that about your life. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's just really great. I mean, because I've actually, you know, I've heard quite a few of your guys' episodes so your voice is very familiar to me mm-hmm. but to me it's it's always great to just hear about the people you know right. like about their lives like how you know because a lot of um, a lot of what we see it's all sort of the happy you know laughing and the good times and stuff and it's nice to just hear how people got to where they are right and like really learn even if there's some bad stories or sad stories or tough stories that's that's like really important stuff so right. Uh, okay, what I want to do now is uh, take a quick break to give just a couple of announcements. Then uh, I want to get into uh, my Tumo experience. We could talk about the teaching that you've done. We could talk mm-hmm. about what you're um, up to at 360 iDev um, and, and all that. And, and we can you know, obviously talk about Swift specifically. So before we do that, I just want to take a quick break to talk about a couple things. Um, I have a few new patrons, so I just want to shout them out. Uh the first is Tassilo van Gerlach. I hope I pronounced that right. Uh, thank you so much, Tassilo. Uh, next is Tom Smallwood. Thank you very much, Tom, for becoming my patron, as well as Mark Alpont. Uh, Mark is the host of Learn Swift Queens, uh, Flushing, Queens, uh, Flushing, New York. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Mark, for becoming my patron. 
the last thing is we have a bunch of new meetups since um, the last episode. I believe the, uh, the last episode I mentioned uh, with Mar- uh, Marcin that we had uh, Learn Swift Winnipeg. I can't remember if I mentioned that, but I'm going to just start with Learn Swift Winnipeg. So the iOS developer uh, meetup group changed their name. If you remember Jeffrey Fulton, he's been on the podcast before. They changed their name to Learn Swift Winnipeg. So that's pretty cool. Uh, then also Learn Swift Kansas City, Learn Swift KC, uh, Learn Swift. Uh, actually, you know what? Let me see if I could. I I just realized now I should probably look up each um, person's name if I can. The founders. So Learn Swift Winnipeg is Jeffrey Fulton. Uh, let's see. Let me pull up uh, Twitter real quick. I Probably know, Justin uh, Stanley as well. Uh, Justin Stanley, maybe. Oh, for the Winnipeg one? Yeah. Okay, yeah, maybe. They're fans of our show too. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, Learn Swift Kansas City is Douglas Heitner. Uh, so shout out to Doug. Uh, let's see. Learn Swift uh, Cincinnati. Where is this? Um... Let's see if I can find it. I just tweeted it out the other day. Uh, where are you? Oh, here. Rob Brown. Yeah. Learn Swift Cincinnati. That's pretty cool. And then uh, Learn Swift uh, Louisville. I'm trying to remember like where I saw this. Recently, someone posted it, I think, in our new meetups uh, page. Where is it? Um, yeah. Learn Swift Louisville. I'm trying to see. I can't see where. Anyways, I'll link to it in the show notes. But yeah, Learn Swift Louisville, uh, which I think is also, is that in Kentucky too? Or Kansas City is in, I guess maybe Missouri or Kansas. I guess you never know. And uh, Louisville is in Kentucky, right? Sounds like it. Yep. Yeah. Anyways, that's like three, four meetups just in one month. It's pretty crazy. Uh, you know, we just started telling people uh, the first you know we had learn swift la then we had learn swift boston and then all of a sudden just a bunch of meetups uh started happening so yeah if you're interested we can help you start it and um yeah i don't know just wanted to share that information it's pretty pretty cool so <laughs> what do you think tim yeah it sounds pretty cool yeah there's a few meetups here in toronto as well but uh, so do you have a meetup in la that you go to or yeah, so we have a couple meetups out here in LA. We have Cocoa Heads, we have NS Coders, and then we have Learn Swift LA, which is the meetup that I started, and mm-hmm. uh, I have a bunch of members, and they they do a lot of it now. I mean, I um, I host the meetup once to twice a month, um, sometimes at my work, um, but we also host an uh, event farm in uh, Santa Monica at least once, if not twice a month, and. Yeah, so so we have Learn Swift LA, and then we have a Swift Coders meetup, which is like a little more advanced. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we do. Uh, it's, the meetup scene is pretty important here in LA, um, especially for 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 me personally. But a lot right. of our meetup members get a lot of benefit out of it. So, okay, um, so I just want to talk a little bit about my experience at Tumo, and then maybe Tim can share a little bit about like his experience. Maybe he can ask me some questions. But real quick. As I said, Tumo, the Center for uh, Creative Technologies, they have, I think, four or five buildings, um, like uh, big buildings, uh, or at least the one I went to was really, really big um, in Armenia. So there's one in Yerevan, uh, I think Gyumri, Dilijan, um, and I'm not sure where else. Um, but And essentially what it is, it's like free school. 
these kids. It's like an after-school mm-hmm. kind of program. You can also do it during the summer, and it's it's free. You just have to sign up. You have to be 12 to 18 years old. You sign up, and you they go through like a whole path, like a learning path that Tumo has designed, and you learn – um, like whatever creative technology related things. So like uh, graphic design, 3D modeling, robotics, programming, um, even music, uh, filmmaking, all these types of things. Um, like things where you can kind of become like a creative professional. And yeah, it's all free. So I was like walking around, I was getting a tour and I was almost crying. They hmm. have 7,000 students um, total through all their places at any given time. They've been around for five years. So they've I don't know how many thousands of students that they've taught. So it's really, really magical. Um, I got invited to lead a uh, session. I taught Swift. So at my, my uh, it was like a Swift workshop, I called it. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically spent like a week learning the basics of iOS um, development and Swift. And then the next week, we built a, a, like an app that allowed the students to download um, their Tumo schedule. We didn't have an API, so I had to fake the API. Right. Um, but allowed them to view their their schedule of workshops. Um, what else? Um, yeah, it was like really really powerful. Just being there, was, and then the students were anywhere from like my students were like fifteen to eighteen. I had um, like about ten students. Uh, it was pretty crazy. I was like a project manager. I was a teacher. Um, let's see. So that's what I taught. Um, Let's see. I don't know. Any any questions, Tim? Or what, what do you? What yeah, are you that's good. That's curious. Good. I think you mentioned like how long the course was. So what did you what did you use for your source material? Did you create it all yourself? Or yeah. So I've given so many, or I've led so many sessions mm-hmm. that I can essentially teach um, lots of different topics, kind of from scratch without like any material. Um, but maybe that's just kind of my style. Maybe there's a downside to it. Um, but to me, it's like very kind of free form and natural like I sort of know where we're going but I'm not too like rigidly stuck on like that mm-hmm. and that end goal like I'm happy to answer questions and um so I um like last minute they wanted me to like when I got there they were like okay we actually want you to like have them build <coughs> this this like Tumo workshop app right so I was like okay so that took a little bit of extra time to like think about how am I going to mock the API and things like that but it's essentially like you know, a table view and a detail screen. Um, and I have done, you know, I've done that plenty of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't really need to do too much preparation. I just, uh, before, you know, it was a, we had three hours each day. So, right. you know, before the day, you know, maybe before that night or something, I would think about like, okay, this is like what I want to cover and this should take about that much time. Right. Um, so yeah, in hmm. terms of like material, that's sort of like how, how it went. So you're kind of more comfortable riffing as you go through uh, different projects kind of thing? I mean, like- for, for this one, yeah, because – so the way it works is they flew me out there. So the flight was free and they put mm. me up. So the apartment um, – and Lucy came with me. I paid for her flight. But we had a nice apartment and that was all free. And then um, they had like a cafeteria. So if I wanted to, I could have like a free you know, lunch, maybe even breakfast um, every day. But there was no – they didn't pay me anything to like go and do this. So it was a volunteer mm. thing besides cool. – like the exchange for the flight and the apartment. Um, and so because of that, you know, I only have so much time in the day. I wasn't, I wasn't comfortable like giving extra time to like do a huge presentation or preparation. Um, I was comfortable with just, as you kind of say, like riffing it. Um, and I think, I think it was fine. I mean, there were definitely times when I felt like, dang it, I, 
I thought it was going to go one way and hmm. it didn't and it kind of made me feel a little bad and I, I felt like hmm, maybe I should have prepared a little more. There definitely are times like that. Um, but I feel like that's always the case. Yeah, that's, kind of, no that's coding. How much that's, you, that's the life yeah. of a coder, right? Yeah, it's like no matter how much you prepare. Um, one thing that I thought was interesting is that um, like Swift, although Swift is really, you know, Swift is awesome, right? And it even runs on Linux. Uh, it's kind of still early days, right? Um, and it's more about the iPhone and, and the Mac. And right. people, these kids just don't have access to that. The only place where they have a Mac is at Tumo. And so mm. they can't really go home and play with an iPhone or go play with a Mac and, and learn Swift and play with Swift and, and with Xcode. Um, so I tried to do a little bit of like uh, Swift on Linux. So like the IBM Swift Sandbox. Right. Um, we did like a little bit of server-side Swift. But that was like really, really tough. Have you experienced anything like that? Or has most of the teaching that you've done, like the having a Mac is not an issue? Yeah, uh, well, I mean, I, I sort of taught, I've always sort of taught in um, like classroom environment where it was like at the, the place I, I started teaching in, in 2011, specifically iOS, and uh, that place would provide Macs for the students coming into it, right? So, and we'd have like iPhones or iPods or iPads to sort of play around with. But uh, yeah, so never sort of a, uh, situation, but then I don't really expect people to sort of go home with the and and work on stuff when they get home. Uh, few people did, but uh, yeah, it's sort of. Um, I think that was a privilege of of. I mean, the places I taught at were you know people were paying a few bucks to to come take the course. It wasn't like a, like a free free sort of. That sounds great. I mean, you know, having that sort of sponsored um, kind of learning, right? So, yeah, it, it was really incredible uh how many students were there like i would um i would start my workshop at around like 2 30 and it was kind of quiet there weren't that many people there and then by the mm-hmm. time i was done i would walk outside and the whole place would be filled with all these young kids right. and it's all max the whole place is filled with max sure and so you know i'm teaching this workshop i'm getting these kids excited as much as i can about swift and ios development right but then at the same time it's like ah, but they don't really have a mac at home and mm-hmm. this is the only place where they can so I don't know, but maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe it's not that big of a deal, but I did feel kind of like this. I kind of felt bad about it. You know, it's like te- I'm teaching them this thing, but they can't really afford. It's really hard. You know, it's expensive yeah. to buy an Apple computer like in Armenia. So there was like this kind of thing I was trying to, I don't know, but hopefully it'll get better. Um, or maybe maybe Linux development, Swift Linux development will become like, you know, really awesome. I, there was that one uh, Swift, uh, plugin for Visual Studio Code. So I don't know, maybe that'll become really cool. Um, so that was well, like kind of an issue I was dealing with though. Um, well, I, I don't know if you, are you familiar with the author, author named Malcolm Gladwell? Yes. Yeah. So he, so, he wrote a story about, I mean, and this is where uh, maybe it'll make you feel better, but he wrote a story about, uh, there was a school in India where they, you know, there was this, uh, um, you know, big scientific, you know, institutional kind of place that had all this access to equipment and, and right beside it was a slum and the kids there had, you know, didn't go to school and didn't learn anything and stuff like that. And so they cut a hole in the wall and they put a computer in the hole so the kids could access it and use the keyboard and the mouse and all that kind of stuff. And they just put it there and just, you know, left that computer there for the kids to sort of play with, Right. And, like, within, like, no time, kids were in there, you know, searching the web and, you know, writing code and all that kind of stuff. And um, so, you know, you, we come at it from sort of a first world perspective in terms of what we have, in terms of what we have access to. And right. and yet in those, in you know, developing countries, they're, they're so much able to deal with, you know, 
coping that they're able to to take that. So I think that you know even though three hour um, short course you were teaching probably meant a lot to those kids, right? Because they were able to go beyond just you know surfing the web or whatever that they they might want to do. I mean they probably just were eager to get at that computer. It's sort of like where I was when we talked about when I worked at the Ministry of Natural Resources and, you know, I'd go in during the day and, you know, the, the secretaries in the office were using these these IBM computers or Xerox computers and, you know, I was just itching to get at those computers and I was thinking about while I was offline, thinking about all the different ways that I could, you know, use that tool to do what I wanted to do, right? So, Wait, so the India thing, you said that they, they like put a hole between the slum and the office where the, yeah. the computer was. Yeah. So like they just had access to the computer, like it was just sort of stuck. Yeah, there like the, the monitor was there and the keyboard. And it was I don't know if it was like the key they had a keyboard and a mouse or whatever and the and the kids were and so one of the other things they, they learned about was this sort of and I use this in some of my game um, uh, logic as well, is they found that there's a sort of grandmother um, sort of uh, grandmothering they call it, right? Where and my wife, you know, we have grandkids now, so my wife, I see her do this all the time with them. And um, they would get older girls to go and stand beside the kids and say, oh, that's really cool. What what else can you show me? And, and you know, and sort of give them that sort of positive reinforcement that you get from, you know, a senior family men- member or matriarch kind of thing. You know, oh, that's interesting. Can What happens if you do this? And, and it would sort of help. And that even accelerated the kids' learning in terms of being able to demonstrate to the, the the parent figure that they could do even even greater things with their with the uh, the knowledge that they were gaining on the spot right so yeah so going back then to like how you mentioned maybe sure they, they don't have Macs at home but they are grateful to have this place to mow and and have a, yeah. an instructor you know you know teach them that was like a tough a really tough thing for me to like you know, I'm there. I, mm-hmm. I feed off the energy. Like I'm there to to provide the service, but I, I get something out of it. Like I yeah. I feed off of like the energy of feeling like I'm connecting, I'm sharing information, and and, and this person enjoys it. They value it like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I like that feeling. And so uh, it was actually hard for me to gauge whether people were enjoying this uh, right, this information right. I was giving them. Especially, I don't know how it is in other places around the world, but like. These kids are very like uh, conservative. They're mm-hmm. very reserved, um, especially with someone that they just met. Uh, and then also there's a language barrier. So most of them understood English, but right. oh, um, okay. only a few of them uh, could really s- felt comfortable speaking. Right. And so a lot of the time I was asking questions and it was just a silent room. <laughs> and, you know, and that I happens try- with English speaking people too. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. that was that was really tough, like to gauge were you Are able to move around the room and sort of see what they were do- how they were progressing and what they were doing kind of thing? Or? So the first week, it was a lot of like me coding and then them trying to kind of copy sure. what I was doing. Because yeah. there was like some basic things I just wanted them to cover. By, this, by the start of the second week, the, some of the students were like, let's, uh, let's break up into groups mm-hmm. and let's tackle, let's build this app together. But let's let's tackle issues as like small little groups. And so we broke off into pairs. We did pair programming. Uh, we wrote we opened up GitHub. We wrote a bunch of issues on GitHub. Um, and then uh, uh, we basically used GitHub. And I, I taught as much Git from the command line as I could. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the time I had to get in there and just do it myself. But uh, everybody, you know, created their own branches and pushed um, and, you know, made pull requests. We did. I guess I did kind of some code review. And so, yeah, during that time, during that second week when they were pair programming, I was able to go around the room 
help everybody and also see, you know, see the work that they were doing. And in a few, you know, a few places, I was pretty impressed, actually. For instance, uh, one issue that we had to solve was uh, internationalization and localization Mm -hmm. because English is not the first language there. It's actually Armenian and Russian. Mm. Uh, and so we're building the app. It's all in English. And I've actually never really done much localization or internationalization before. I've used NS localized string, but I never really like created my dot strings file before right, or anything like right. that. And so there was two students who were really interested in this topic. I showed them NS localized string. I told them how to, I showed them how to use it and they just figured it out. They, and it was impressive by in like one, two days they had, um, they had the app working in English and in Armenian. I was cool, so yeah. impressed. Yeah, um, and those two students in particular, I, I told them afterwards. I said, you know, you guys, like, contact me if you have any questions. I really like connected with them. You know, you you can't give, you try to give everything, you know, equally. But they're these students. They really stood out, and so I uh, and they were they like showed the most interest. So I told them like, you know, you definitely contact me. I was really impressed by them because I was worried about that like that uh, feature. Hmm. Yeah, so I was able to, you know, go around the room and kind of get get a sense. By the end of it, it seemed like they enjoyed it and that right, they were. Right. Um, so we at, at the end of it, we had a little presentation where a bunch of other students that were not a part of the course came in and then a few parents and then a few other people that just like work at Tumo and then most of my class. And we presented uh, the app that we had built hmm. <laughs> and maybe six or seven of them came up and gave a little talk about like the work that they did. And so after that, I really felt a little more kind of validated or it felt better. And then like uh, we took a group picture and then they didn't they didn't like we didn't they didn't want to separate. Like I walked down, they came with me, we walked all the way. So that was and it was like kind of a sad goodbye, you know. Like, sure, yeah. So I think by the end of it, it seemed like at least some of them were really appreciative of it, you know, and, and um, yeah. But it was hard to gauge at first. I was like, I actually left multiple times like afterwards just like not sure yeah. am I doing a good job ha- yep. has that ever happened to you I mean you've done a lot of teaching I'm assuming so you that you've probably felt that before like yeah I think did I do a good well, job or? yeah this I mean, generally we've talked about this before and there's sort of an imposter syndrome where you figure you know somebody's gonna find out that you're not really all that kind of thing right um and you just gotta you just gotta get past that it's I'm surprised actually when I run into people you know fans of the show of the podcast or people who read my stuff on Ray Lake or um, even people at work who who know me by reputation may not know me by to talk to me, but and you know they they finally get the nerve up to talk to me, kind of thing. And you're actually surprised that I'm surprised at how often it does happen. It doesn't happen as you know it's like it's not like I'm you know getting paparazzi chasing me around at work and kind of stuff like <laughs> that. But you know, and and I mean, there are pl- I think there are tons of people at work you know who I work with who who'd never even heard of RayWernerLake.com kind of thing until I came along and told them about it. But you know, like uh, uh, you know. So it's it's interesting when you run into to different people, but um, the yeah, I mean, I think that the one thing one interesting thing that I learned, I was going to say while you were talking there, was that um, when I first started teaching, at, I taught at a school called Wits Education, which does they do like uh, Adobe training and they do some management and effective uh, managing training as well. Um, and I just got the gig doing the iOS, uh, thing. I sort of inherited, it was started by somebody else and I inherited it. It was sort of my idea that they should get into this. So they came to me after fashion and said, would I do it? And, um, 
So the first couple of times, you know, I wrote out a bunch of um, tutorials and these were what we were going to go through. And I, I'm like you, I would sit at the front and I would code and they were trying to kind of trying to follow along. And I would sort of see where if they were keeping up with me and. And I broke it down into sort of things I wanted to do. Like my promise to them was, and my courses were, the courses I taught were like you know, six to eight hours long. They weren't three hours per day. Uh, okay. Yeah. So, and I would, I promised them by lunch, they would build an app. And, so, and literally it would be like, you know, a hello world and then, you know, add a text field and a button. So you could say hello and then punch in your name and change it to right, hello. We did that too. Hello, Garrett, right? Yeah. Um, and then, then we did the flashlight thing where you could change the screen color of the background by tapping a red, green, or blue button kind of thing, oh, right? Oh, cool. Yeah, just sort of very basic things. And then I would borrow I would borrow exercises from either the Big Nerd Ranch books or from things I'd done on RayWernerlich.com. Um, I, I scoured around and, you know, we even made a Flappy Birds kind of clone at one point. Um, we had a crazy mayor here, uh, Mayor Ford a few years ago and uh so one of the guys turned his into like a flappy ford kind of thing (laughs) which is fine like you know and and you go to the back of the room and you're like hey what are you doing and he's like oh i've decided to make mine into flappy ford and you know you know you could sort of get bent out of shape that he wasn't sort of following along with the plan or you could embrace the fact that he'd been really creative and did something on his own kind of thing right so but then but then I took a course with another guy at the same place. Like one of the advantages of being in that place is I could I could go take any course I wanted. And so I took a Mac OS server course by one of the other guys there once. And what I noticed about his style was, it, fortunately, you know, his Apple creates like a whole sort of course program for them. And um, so what he would do is he would do a little bit, he would do like 20 minutes of lecturing. And then there was like assignments that he would have them do out of a book, Right. And then while he was, you know, and I didn't really realize this until I went and talked to him privately as another fellow instructor, I could do that. And he was like Googling and answering customer emails and that kind of stuff while they were doing their exercises, right? And uh, and then he would come back and he would do another lecture on another section. So he might like do like introduction to table view and then have them, you know, build a rudimentary table view and then how to get data from an API kind of thing and whatever the, this, I'm breaking it out in terms of what I would teach, right? And yeah, that's um, a lot of what I taught. Yeah, and then sort of, you know, you go to iTunes and get the top 10 songs and you pop them into a table of view and then you click on one to get a detail on the song kind of thing. That's an exa- that's an example of something I might do and that might take a whole day, right? Because you got to explain it. When I first started, it was teaching them how to parse XML. Now it's teaching them how to parse JSON kind of thing, right? Right. Um, but so I took his sort of model and I, and I changed the course over. Like I taught, every time I taught the course, you know, it, it would be like three, six months between courses when I taught them. Uh, and of course, you know, Apple would change the API, newer version of Xcode, you know, whatever. And, you know, I'd kind of always sort of st- teach from the most stable operating system at the time kind of thing, or most stable version of Xcode, um, sort of for sanity's sake, right? Um, but I'd, I would sort of prepare all this stuff. But now I, I, I also recently discovered that Apple actually has a great resource for teaching um, uh, iOS. Right. Um, it was a GitHub project started by one of the guys at Apple. And... Uh, it's written, it's, I don't know, it's not really well maintained, so if you want to take it now, you got to sort of update it for Swift 3 or Swift 4, but uh, but it gives you the foundation, and there's like um, a teacher's guide as well as a student, you know, exercises kind of thing, and so then you can use that same model where you can prepare the, the lesson plan, and you can take, you know, do a bit of lecturing for yourself, and then let the students run and, and write the code, because, you know, I don't know about you, but when I've 
a lot of times you have to explain to people what a code block is, right? Because they'll start they start typing anywhere on the page, and then they get all the red warnings, and they don't know what's going on. And there was a little bit of that, yeah, because you know they they've put things outside of the out of scope, like they put it you know right. outside the curly braces, not understanding what the role of the curly braces yeah. are, for instance, right? So with Objective C, it's even worse, right, <laughs> than Swift, right? But uh, you know, or where to where to you know when to create a let and how to organize all your lets and vars at the top of the page and have that sort of style, you know. And then when you're adopting a protocol to use an extension instead of you know putting it right inside the code and that, or you know adopting the the protocol at the top of the, the the class the main class itself, right? Sort of teach them how to separate the concerns and and uh, you know keep the the code balanced a bit more more so you can deal with it, right? So and. But that takes time to teach that kind of stuff, right? So, yeah. So I had to, I had to balance like what is really important. What are they maybe interested right. in right now? Because they ask a question. Mm-hmm. How do we move this forward? Oh, they now they want me to like deliver this app. <laughs> they kind of had mentioned it before I got there, and we yeah. were like, oh, we'll see. And then when I got there, they were like, yeah, we really want you to do it. Right. And so I was like, okay. And so I was like trying to balance all that. I think ultimately. Uh, it worked out because we got a, a good working demo and it was mm-hmm. localized and or yeah, internationalized cool. at yeah. least, which was like to me super impressive. We had an app icon. Sure. Um, even like the logo changed um, if it was like Armenian versus, you know, English. Nice. So, yeah. Um, okay. So, but you mentioned a couple um, things there. So, uh, one is trying to balance like the different interests like some students really wanted to like learn animation mm-hmm. and at some point i had to say like okay if that's like you want to focus the mm-hmm. whole week just like learning this cool animation login animation like go ahead i had to just let them do that right um another uh, person was like super obsessed with like the login you know validating mm-hmm. the code of the login like right. the username and password and so i had to kind get of them to write the unit test then <laughs> <laughs> we didn't get to testing. Yeah. We didn't get to that. Oh man! Um, but I tried to cover a lot of you know. We we I, I showed them as much as I could about Git. You know, Git yeah. command line and stuff like that. Yeah. One thing we covered. So we covered um, you know URL session. We mm. used uh, the Flickr API. Sure. Um, and then we talked about parsing JSON. Right. And the Ooh. so so I, what I wanted to say was. These students all had um, passed the programming level right. two, which is like okay. a two-mo thing. So yeah. they had some programming experience, but their um, their their programming experience was in like JavaScript, and I think mm. they've done a, they did a little bit of Node.js too. Right. And so I guess in JavaScript, it's like you don't really parse JSON; like it kind of mm. just does it for you, almost like how Swift four does that for you. Like you kind of just but give it. Yeah. Yeah, all that codable stuff. So I'm spending like maybe 30 minutes or something parsing JSON, and the whole room is like freaking out on me. Like, they're like, what is he doing? I don't understand. Like, like I totally lost him. And like, people were, they, like, I was depressed after that day. Like, Mm. people seemed really bummed after that. (laughs) I'm like, I'm like, I don't know what to tell you guys. This is like a real thing. Parsing JSON is like real. Not trivial. they, they, They were like, I don't know. In JavaScript, we just say like here, and it gives us an object. I was like, okay, well, in Swift 4, we get that. But uh, in Swift 3, this is how you have to do it. So Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. that's the same thing. I mean, like, you know, uh, even even in Objective-C, like there's the the thing that Marin Todorov wrote um, years ago. Oh, what's it called? Uh, JSON so, object or something like that, I think. Okay, it's like a little JSON parser or something? Yeah, but it's Objective-C. It's not Swift, right? And um, oh, okay. Yeah, because the Swifty JSON, which a lot of people started using, and there's a few other, Unbox or something like that. Or yeah, Box. John Sundle has some. Yeah, so, there's, I mean, there's some tools you can use to do that. I mean, um, 
uh, it, it, carefully to become, it can become crutches for people. Right. But, uh, yeah, it, it's tough. I mean, like, you know, I was, I was a little disappointed when I first started working with, with, um, with Swift in that sense that it was, it was, you know, a real challenge to get that done. But I mean, there's a lot of trade-offs. I mean, like the fact that Swift is so much more type safe and you get, you know, you, you can't just throw anything at it. I mean, Objective-C is very forgiving that way. Right. I, I don't know. How much Objective-C have you done? I didn't really get into that with you. Um, I've done enough to mm. at least understand some differences, but not that much. I started learning programming with Objective-C in January 2014 and quickly kind right. of gave up. And then I've done a little <laughs> bit of Objective-C at Farmers because some right. of the libraries we depend on, uh, sure. internal libraries, are, are written at What's your background in coding? Like, what did you, when did you start getting into it? What's your, your story? Yeah, yeah, Well, I've, if you want to hear the full story, there's a few podcasts I can oh, okay. link to where I share that information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Give me the TLDR. Yeah, sure. Um, lawyer, Uber driver, programmer. Nice. Okay. So yeah, I became a lawyer, quit, uh, taught myself programming, and now I'm a full-time iOS developer. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. Um, my years of experience, um, I would say since 2000, I'd say like really since 2015. So only. So you just dove right into iOS? That was your thing? Yeah, Swift and iOS. I wanted to make iPhone apps. So. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to go back real quick to you were mentioning like the Apple education materials. You mm-hmm. said it was on GitHub. The one I'm familiar with, it like it's a bunch of iBooks. Right. Is that yeah. the same thing? No, no. Uh, well, no. I mean, those are those are great now too. That's that's another great thing that just Apple just did recently. I think Apple wants the whole world to to learn Swift, right? And uh, well, Chris Latner mentions yeah. world domination like yeah. all the time. Oh, so that, that was my. I mean, I've been trying to dominate the world one server at a time since I joined RT, <laughs> right? But, but um, he, yeah, no. The 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 books are great. I haven't really gone through them all myself, and they but they've got the um, the the student and the teacher version, which is great. Um, yeah, this was. Uh, uh, let me just see if I can find it here. I probably have it bookmarked. Maybe there's a... something different. You're saying there's like some repo on GitHub. I remember there was. I thought there was some guy. He had either he had like a Russian name or a Japanese name. Or it might something. be Japanese. Yeah, I know we've or talked about it on the show. Let me just get my MTJC here. And um, and it looked like he had created it. And then, or maybe for some other school, and then Apple sort of adopted it as like the official sort of yeah educational for a while. Material. Yeah, I think I think um, I think he. Uh, I thought he. W- I got the impression that he worked for Apple or something like that. Or okay, which I can't spell learning. But then I feel like I haven't seen it since uh, Apple kind of released like the official educational right. material. Yeah, it's still out there. I, I was I was looking at it um, a few months ago. Last month, I guess, because uh, again, I'm always lo- I'm always looking for resources for teaching people, even though I really don't do that much. Uh, now that yeah, one thing, gig. one thing I'm sort of trying to understand about myself is like, am I a teacher? Do I enjoy this teaching stuff more? Am I like more interested in like creating products? And that's something I'm still exploring because I'm pretty I'm still somewhat new to this. Yeah. Um, how do you sort of manage that? I mean, you work as a lead, but then you also, you know, producing products, but you also seem like have you have this real interest in teaching. How do you sort of balance that? Well, so, yeah, I mean, well, I mean, the thing about it is, is when I was running my own business, um, you, know, you try not to diversify too much. But uh, when you're when you're putting food on the table yourself, you kind of want to do everything like you want to you want to try and you know, get as much, you know, recurring revenue or whatever it is you want to do. Right. So, um, and because I, I come out, I'm sort of a, uh, there's a concept called Renaissance man and there's a new, um, 
Oh, Tammy told me what the name of it was. I can't remember what it is now, but the Renaissance Master Man. Of none? Is, huh? Master of None. Master of None. Yeah, no, that's the uh, jack of all trades, Master of None. Uh, no, in, in the Renaissance period, the 1500s, you know, people like Leonardo and Michelangelo and Raphael and Donatello, you know, the, the, the Ninja Turtles, they, um, <laughs> they, uh, they didn't just paint or sculpt or whatever. Like Leonardo was also a scientist and an inventor and, a, you know, like a, a spy and all kinds yeah, of other stuff, right? I mean, so, I know the term Renaissance man, but you were saying there's like a new term for it? Yeah, I, it's, I'd have to I'd have to look it up. I can't remember. I can, okay, let me just okay. chat with Tammy. She might remember if she's online. But so uh, you consider yourself a bit of a Renaissance man, and that's sort of how. Well, you, uh, one uh, of the ways you sort of justify it or balance it or yeah. So it. the the danger though is that in in um, when you try to do too much, and and that's a lot. I think a lot of people do. You can have a hard time focusing, right? So yeah. Um, and again, like, you know, as I said before, my I did a lot of things in my business. I wanted to be an Apple reseller. I wanted to be a consultant. I wanted to solve everybody's problems. I, I you know, tend to be a bit of a white knight on a horse. And But at the end of the day, like, you know, you sort of made, you asked me earlier about the pivot from IT to development. And um, there's only so many web servers or email servers you can fix. And there's only so many, you know, people, you know, you can help, you know, with their, set up their Mac and that kind of stuff. And it, it kind of becomes a grind after a while. And it becomes commoditized, too, to be, be honest with you, right? So because there's so many people supporting uh, homeowners or small businesses or whatever. So um, I consciously had to make an effort to focus my direction on um, the things that I wanted to do. And one of the, coming back to another point I was going to make earlier was that, you know, where you, and you, you mentioned it sort of, but you didn't put the nail on the head and or hit the nail on the head. And that is that we're getting paid to do something we really enjoy doing, right? Which right. is totally, that's, that's the goal of everybody in life, right? Everybody should have that goal. And that's, you know, frankly, that's great. I mean, to, to be part of the Ray Winnerick team is something that really sort of, you know, turns my crank in terms of being able to help contribute to, to, um, to the world in terms of other iOS developers learning stuff. And, and, you know, also doing the podcast, I mean, you know, we're now at around 2000 listeners a week kind of thing. And, uh, but we, you know, there was a time when we only had 50, you know, so, uh, you kind of just sort of have to keep at it and keep building and putting in your 10,000 hours as Malcolm Gladwell says. Right. But, um, I forgot what I was, where I was going with this, but, well, I was just asking you about like balancing. Yeah, so uh, you do have to sort of focus. You have to sort of at some point sort of say, "Well, I, I don't have time for that." And and one of the things about now that I've taken this this task over at working for TD full time is that you know from nine to five, Monday to Friday, my mind belongs to them, right? Um, so you know, uh, you know, so I when I arrive at work, you know, my like my phone goes on mute, and I don't deal with. I try not to deal with too many. Uh, business distractions like for my own company because my time is being paid for by my employer right right um and but then when at night you know it's sort of it's sort of up to me in terms of how much energy i have and i think i mentioned before that i'm not doing as many videos with ray wonderlet because it's just i don't have the time or the energy and you know the podcast takes up you know three nights a week for me um you know trying to get just trying to get through editing it and uh wow yeah, so I mean, so sometimes I'll accelerate that, and sometimes, frankly, if life is getting in the way and I have to go, you know, away with my wife and work on a family project or something like that, I might not publish till Sunday. Well, that's too bad, you know, that's just the way life is, right? But um, um, so you have to sort of you have to sort of decide, and this is something else that I learned from this entrepreneurial group. It's the group is called Strategic Coach, and they have classes here in Toronto. Um, for for entrepreneurs who are making you know a, a decent living kind of thing that's their goal but 
they teach you to um, to first of all realize that that your free time is the most valuable time, right? So there's times when you do nothing related to work, and that's a very important thing. It's like charging the battery on your on your computer. I kind of equate that too, right? You can't just right. you know, always be running on on battery power, right? You have to take time to recharge your brain and that kind of stuff, and step away from the keyboard or whatever. Um, and a lot of times, you know, when I'm having a, a huge problem uh, working on some solution or whatever, just walk, taking the dog for a walk or going for a drive or a walk with my wife, you know, in the middle of the walk, I'll go, oh, my God, I just realized what I, you know, how I forgot to set the delegate or something like that, you know. Right. As you're trying to struggle through something that's like plain, you, 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 it's so close you can taste it, but you need to, you need to take a break, right? The other thing is that, you know, then there's other times when you just do all the sort of minutia of, you know, balancing your chain, paying your bills and checking, you know, buying groceries and stuff like that, the stuff you have to do. And then you have these, these two or three days a week where, you know, or hour blocks of time where you focus on specifically the three things that, that you know, get you, the, get you towards your goal the most, right? So and that's why you sort of focus on those things. And like for me, publishing the podcast, I have to dedicate that time on Thursday, Friday and Saturday you know, to get that done. Otherwise, the task isn't going to get done, right? So um, another interesting thing that I learned from, I'm trying to do a lot more writing myself and um, struggling with that for the last three or four years. And so we had a guest on Roundabout Creative Chaos uh, named Joanna Rothman, who teaches people to write. And I sort of said, okay, so I'm your guinea pig. How do you teach me to write? And one of the things she said to me, which is really um uh, freeing up, free me up was, you know, she says, just take 15 minutes of time, set up a timer on your phone or whatever, Pomodoro, and just write. Just don't edit. Just sit down at the keyboard and whatever comes into your head, you know, have it come out the keyboard and type it into like whatever text editor you're using. Just, you know, 15 minutes, just go, right? Um, and like I said, I'm doing a talk at 360 iDev in, in a couple of weeks and um, August 14th, actually. Um, but so I have to write all this, this copy for this like 40 minute speech. And like, how do you, how do you get like, you know, like they say, how, agile coaches, how do you eat an elephant? Do you know how to eat an elephant? Uh, I have no idea. One bite at a time. <laughs> right. So yeah. So taking this 15 minute block and, you know, next thing, next thing you know, over a couple of days, I've got like, you know, a thousand, two thousand, three thousand words written, you know, wow. um, so it's about it's you know it's kind of like taking the time to focus on what you want to do and and realizing that okay look I can't really do that anymore because that that it takes too much time for me it's not something I really enjoy you know kind of thing um, actually I should probably tell you about another tool that I use which is called the opportunity filter which I don't use it often as much as I can but you grade different things that you need to do in your life. Um, and you give it a score and, you know, you have sort of a minimal acceptable score. And if something is really, you know, hits all the marks for you, you'll find that you, that's something you should get involved in. And there's some things you just have to sort of delegate off to somebody else because they're, they take, they suck too much of your life energy away. They take too much time. They're not rewarding. You know, they don't advance your, your goal, right? Sort of thing, right? So. Okay. So speaking of time, mm. uh, <laughs> we, we've. We've, Way over. Uh, no, not necessarily, but I don't want to take up too much or more of your time. Sure. And we do at some point need to end. So what I want I have to do go watch Game of Thrones. Come on. It's Saturday I know, Sunday right? night, right? I know. So there's a few things I want to do, though. And yeah. I want to see if we can get that done uh, pretty quickly. Okay. Because I want to hit these, and then hopefully we can get, get you. By the way, we should have you as a guest on Roundabout Creative Chaos. 
Yeah. So speaking of the podcast, yeah. So it's called Roundabout Creative. What do you right, Creative right Chaos? About, yeah. Roundabout Creative Chaos. Chaos. Yeah. Okay. And real quick, what's like sort of the pitch on that podcast? Um, we talk to creative types. We talk to artists. We talk to developers. We talk to some TV personalities. Uh, we talk to just about anybody who'll listen who will join okay. us. Okay. Um, and we talk about um, it's, it's it's actually founded by Tammy Coron, who's a de- another developer, and she's also and she's She's a typical person I just talked about who bites off more than she can chew. She totally gets totally involved in too many things at once. But And creative chaos, we kind of go round and round like crazy, so that's where the chaos comes in. Um, but it's uh, it's an interesting show where we talk, similar to your show, we interview one person and we talk about them and, and their life. And we have a sort of a couple of uh, gimmicky, gimmicky things here. I'm going to have you on the show, so I'm not going to tell you too much about those. Okay. I would love to be on the show. Yeah, okay, sure. we'll, yeah. We'll, we'll put you on the list. And... Um, the uh, the whole thing is that uh, we just you know and we go way we go in the wayback machine. We find out when you started working on computers, what gaming system you used when you were a kid, you know what your parents do, where you know where you grew up, you know a I lot love of, that kind of, stuff. kind of stuff, and then where you are today. Yeah, it's storytelling, which is what you know the whole people love stories, right? Oh yeah. So um, we find out about who you are and what makes you tick, kind of thing beyond your you know fabulous whatever you know so yeah okay mm-hmm. cool i'd love to mm-hmm. okay and then the next thing i want to ask is you kept mentioning the 360 idev talk right, the right is there anything you can share with us a little bit about what you're going to be talking about well first of all let me let me let me do the pitch there's a couple of pitches one is on on going to meetups if you if people aren't going to meetups i definitely recommend going to meetups even if you just sit there and, and just you know enjoy the pizza or whatever um because you and conferences, uh, iOS conferences, because I initially, when I first got that gig and, you know, uh, the phone call in 2010, uh, April, right after the, the day after Steve Jobs announced the thing, or it was February, I guess, actually, I, first thing I did is I went to Seattle to a conference to find out, you know, what is this iOS thing and how do we, how do we make it happen? And, um, somebody tweeted out the other day that they don't go to conferences to, to, uh, sort of find out what they know they need to go to conferences to find out what they what they need to learn right mm, interesting yep so you know because you you go there and you find oh well this is all this stuff that like you know whether it's auto layout or memory management or what have you um you realize after somebody watching somebody do a presentation that you know you don't understand this as well as maybe you thought you did right so the other advantage of going to conferences i mean if you can get to wwdc that's bar none the best conference there is pl- on the planet for ios right or for even mac os but you meet other people like yourself who are, and that's the same thing with meetups is there are other people out there, you know, struggling, doing the fighting, the fight, right. Kind of thing. And, and, uh, you will learn from each other and, um, that kind of stuff. Tommy and I were talking about, um, you know, one of the things of advantage of doing a podcast in a group, in a forum, like we do with the, with the four people round table discussion is we learn from each other. I mean, Jaime's learned about the art world from me and he's learned about, you know, uh, in building computer circuits or integrated circuits for Mark, you know, and, and, you know, we learn things from Greg as well, because he's very eloquent, you know, speaker and coder and that kind of stuff. Right. Um, but so 360 iDev is, is, uh, as I said before, before RW DevCon came along, RW DevCon is a hands-on tutorial style conference. So there's like nothing like it out there. Uh, if you're trying to, if you're learning anything and it, and it has three tracks, you know, beginner, intermediate and advanced. So it's a great conference for learning iOS and Swift specifically, right? They do sometimes dabble into a little bit of Android as well, but um, 
usually just for one session. And they did server-side Swift this year too, which we talked about a little bit briefly, I think, right? Um, yeah. But 360 iDiv is, is a gathering in, in Denver, Colorado, and it's basically uh, same sort of thing. It's like, I think there's two or three tracks and um, uh, speaker like other people like myself or um, Aaron, I've forgotten his name, who's the lead iOS developer at WordPress. Um, uh, Alan... Ellen, she's designated nerd on Twitter. She comes from <laughs> from uh, St. Louis, and she and Chicago actually. And we all, you know, the talk. Sam Davies comes over from the Ray Wilnick team and talk and does amazing talks. You know, sometimes Greg Keo's talked there. Maren's been there. Mike Lee comes over from Amsterdam, and all get together and talk about things that are re- relevant to um, iOS developers, whether it's a technology and how to deal with it, or whether it's an inspiration talk in terms of how to how to uh, you know, make it as a developer, right? So Jaime and I are doing a talk together, um, and it's kind of sort of related to the podcast in a sense, um, in that we're going to be talking about becoming a better developer through talking, through communicating, but through participating uh-huh. in, in meetups and, and you know, workshops and hackathons and all that kind of stuff. And just, you know, getting beyond the uh, sort of, and even, even talking to your rubber duck. I mean, we talked about a little bit about taking a mental break and walking away and sort of coming up with the aha moment, right? And I don't know if you're, are you familiar with rubber ducking? No, you never heard of that. So that so when you're having a struggle with a with a particular thing you're trying to learn, whether it's a skill or or trying to build an app or whatever, yeah, um, imagine yourself like. And this happens like you know I'll sit down in front of Slack and I'll start writing out a question, or I'll go on to Twitter and I'll write a question, or I'll write an email to Mark in terms of what I need to ask him. I'm stuck on something I'm trying to develop, and invariably just by communicating the idea. Like whether it's a, you know, a text email that you write or, you know, whatever or on Slack or something, just thinking, just taking that exercise to write the idea down or the problem down, nine times out of 10, you come up with your own solution, right? So the, you imagine yourself talking, get yourself a rubber duck, put it on your desk and explain the problem to the rubber duck, right? And, or talk to your dog when you're taking him for a walk or whatever, or talk to your wife, God forbid you should talk to your wife. But, um... As you explain the, the situation to the duck, right, invariably just that exercise of going through that process or communicating the issue that you're dealing with, right, kind of builds synapses in your brain and you come up with that aha moment and figure out what the problem, solution to your problem is, right? Like for me, it's I always forget to set the delegate kind of thing, right? <laughs> but you know, Translates duck, yeah. auto resizing mass in the constraints equals false. Yeah, yeah, you know, so like, like it, the things that you sort of uh, you get stuck on, like, like you know, take a step back. Okay, I want to do view model view, or I want to do MMVM, you know, mo- view model model view, right? And and or view model I should say, and you know, I'm just sort of stuck on it, and they're like, oh my god, I'm doing the logic in the view. I should be doing it in the view model, not in or the view can yeah, the view model, not not in the view, right? Kind of thing, and you kind of oh yeah, that's what I'm doing wrong, kind of thing, and. Nine times out of ten, that's where well, your, your solution will come from. That's rubber ducking. You're basically talking to a little rubber duck that sits on your desk. So when is 360i Dev? 360i Dev is the 13th of August. This Oh, cool. Just, that's coming up. Yeah, it's just a couple of weeks away. And by the time, I don't know when this hits the streets, but to, by the time this comes out, there'll probably be time to buy a few more tickets. Um, yeah. yeah, all right. So, this is, this is going to go out uh, just in a couple of days. So, yeah, so, um, and there's a couple of fun events that happen. There's um, Sometimes there's, depending on who's there, that there might be a night of meat, uh, you know, where you go out and have a Brazilian, you know, meat dinner kind of thing with a bunch oh, of other yeah, people yeah. and... Fogo de Chao. Yeah, and then they have um, they have a, a couple of events. They have one event, fun event where I call Stump the 
stump the stump. I don't know what they call it. It used to be called stump the experts at uh, WWDC. They don't do it anymore where they would have, you know, 30 brilliant Apple engineers up on a stage and it's sort of this circus of questions and answers. Um, you know, they put up, they ask questions to the audience. The audience gets to ask them questions. There's a whole protocol to it, you know, and if you break the protocol, you get chastised by the host kind of thing, <laughs> right? So they, right. they have a, they have their own version of stump the experts at 360. Stump, I forget what they call it now, the stump, I can't remember. Um, but it's a fun thing where you get to, you know, you get to sit in the audience and, and all the speakers who presented their, their talks for the last, you know, two, three days are up on stage, like Jaime and I will be up on there and you'll get to ask us questions, technical questions and hopefully stump us, right? Awesome. Yeah. Well, I wish you uh, the best of luck over there in uh, Colorado. Colorado, mm-hmm. right? Denver? Yeah, Denver, Colorado, yep. Yeah, that's rad. Okay, uh, let's see. So I wanted to talk about 360i Dev, the yep. other podcast. Um, let's see. I have a couple last things I want to mention. Sure. Is there anything else that you had? Uh, no, I think I've dominated enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, uh, there. Uh, so the one thing I wanted to, last thing I want to mention about the Tumo thing was uh, you, you know, you, Tim, or if anyone out there is listening, contact me if you're interested in becoming a workshop leader. Uh, Tumo is always looking for more people to uh, to join. So contact me. You do, you don't have to speak Armenian. Uh, they have translators. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was it was really an incredible experience. And so if you like touring, you know, seeing different places, but also having maybe more of a purpose as opposed to just being a tourist, uh, this could be a really cool way to have like a vacation, uh, you know, for you if you're that kind of person, um, you know, or if you just want to take your vacation to give back, that's that's uh, that's fine as well. Um, the uh, last couple things I wanted to say is that this is going to be uh, a season finale, uh, season three. Uh, so when I, are you coming back on the air? Yeah, yeah. So that's a good question. Um, I'm planning to be back September 12th. So I'm going to take off all of August. Um, depending on kind of what happens in the next like week or so, uh, you know, with vacation planning and stuff, I'll know more. Maybe I'll come back earlier. Or maybe there'll be an episode uh, where I give an update. Uh, we'll see. But um, I definitely uh, want to take a nice summer break. I'm taking it a little uh, later than compared to last year. And so um, I'll be back for sure after Labor Day. So look out. Um, in the meantime, if you need to listen to more podcasts, there's so many amazing podcasts out there. You can check out Tim's podcast, uh, More Than Just Code, and the Roundabout Creative chaos right right yeah creative chaos and uh, you guys know all the other amazing podcasts um also you could always uh you know also take a break um you know maybe don't don't do so much coding you know go out there enjoy the sun that's what i'm going to be doing smell the flowers yeah and then (laughs) the other thing i wanted to say was um you know i went to our uh i went to armenia and i think i did one episode with marcin and uh, it just turned, I was like super jet lagged. First off, when I got to Armenia, I was super jet lagged. I was going to bed like at, I don't know, five, like, you know. So I was like really tired. And then I was able to do one episode. I wasn't able to do another one. I got back and I was also just still super jet lagged. Um, uh, I was able to get quicker, like back into the, you know, flow of things, you know, back here in LA. Um, but yeah, so I missed a couple episodes there. Apologies. I hope you guys, uh, uh, are okay with that and aren't super, super mad at me. Um, okay, lastly, uh, Tim, yeah. uh, do you have uh, any 
we, we usually like to end with one piece of advice uh, for people learning Swift. So how about that? Oh, sure. Yeah. Sorry, that was my, that's the other host of the Modern Code Project, Parking in the Back. That's Mac. Oh. <laughs> oh, is he there in the basement? In the uh, lair? Well, he's, I don't know if you heard him barking, but you probably heard on the recording. Oh, is that your dog? Yeah, yeah, it's Macintosh. What's your dog's name? Macintosh. Oh, <laughs> hey, Macintosh. Uh, okay, so one piece of advice for people learning Swift. Go. One piece of advice for people learning Swift. Hmm. Just do it. I don't know. It's, it's, it's there. Just do it. You can do it. You can do it. I have yeah, faith in good. you. That's good advice. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, uh, I met, I've met a lot of people, uh, especially through the meetups, and uh, that's the kind of advice that I actually um, really benefited from because you know, a lot of people that are coming to Swift, they come from all these different kinds of backgrounds. Right. They don't have programming experience. Mm-hmm. And if you're a non-programmer, it's easy to think that you can't do it. Right. You have to be some sort of special person. Um, and so a lot of the work that we do with our Learn Swift meetups is to you know, dispel that notion and um, kind of build this, this uh, environment where people can feel like they can do it. So that's, that's actually really great advice. Yeah, there actually is a, I, I, did a, I was an ed, a educational editor on um, a book from com called um, The Swift Apprentice, which is written for people who have no experience in programming at all, and Swift is the language we use to teach people. So... It's a two two edged sword. If you're learning, if you want to learn programming and you want to learn Swift, this is a perfect book for you. Swift Apprentice. Yeah. So I actually got my pretty much like my main first like real breakthrough and like start with the iOS Apprentice uh, right. series. Okay. Yeah. From, from Ray, my, Ray yeah. Wenderlich. Yep. Yeah. Um, That's by Matthias Holman. Yeah. I can't. So it would have been like 2015 ish, mm-hmm. and uh, so that really, that's like when I started. You know, going through that book, that's really where I had some like actual like jumps in understanding. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, yeah. So that, and that's like that type of book really like works with my learning style. So you said you are or have been the editor on that book? I was a te- um, uh, educational editor on the first edition, but it's now in its second, maybe third edition will be coming out soon, I think. Wow. Well, thank you so much, Tim, for doing that work. No uh, I really benefit from it. So, mm-hmm. All right, Tim. Well, thanks again for coming on the show today, uh, you know, sharing your story with us going from, uh, I'm assuming you grew up in, in Canada, maybe Toronto? Well, I'm actually, I was born in England in UK and uh, oh. moved to, to Montreal when I was six and lived in Lee. Toronto most of my life, yeah. <laughs> wow, okay. And uh, you, you know, you went to college and you got yeah. a degree in fine arts. Your dad was an engineer. You were supposed to study engineering, <laughs> but you kind of, you know, threw it an audible the last rebel, minute. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you got a degree in fine arts and then you went and worked at this conservatory or this natural, this like natural basically resources. like. Yeah. I was actually, uh, yeah. And then I got into computers working at a place building uh, flags and banners and we made the Canadian flag for all kinds of places. And yeah. Yeah. And this, the, re- the natural resources, uh, organization or I don't, uh, ministry of natural resources. Yeah. Ministry. Yeah. They had a Macintosh. I no, they had a, they had a, a Xerox computer. Yeah. Oh, they had a Xerox mm-hmm. computer. Okay. Uh, and yeah, you were using computers sort of as like a medium for your art. Mm-hmm. And then you were working, uh, at this company where you did the hockey, uh, pool. Yeah. Like, it was like a betting pool, I'm assuming. Yeah. It was this friendly office pool. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. And then you were like the IT person. And then through that, you started getting more interested in programming. Mm -hmm. And then the iPad comes out in 2010. And you've been involved in the, um, you know, iOS uh, development community, it sounds like ever since. Ever since, yeah. You've, uh, you're now working at TD Bank, you're doing more than just code, you're working with Ray Wenderlich, you're uh, teaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, we actually didn't get specifically into the teaching. Like the teaching that you do, you go, like uh, companies hire you to teach like their employees or? Yeah, that was originally the, the thing. But now that, I've, now that I'm engaged at TD uh, with my, uh, my full-time gig, I, I, only t- I teach at TD occasionally on some courses, but uh, yeah, I yeah. don't do the, the teaching gigs anymore. Yeah. All right. Well, so yeah, thank you for sharing all that with us. And thank you for coming on the show yeah, no at such last minute. Mm-hmm. And I think, uh, and, and talking with me about my experience at Tumo. Sure. Um, that was really, really fun. And uh, yeah, I look forward to talking with you again soon. All right. Well, thanks for having me on the show. And people can look me up on Twitter if they'd like. And that's the best way to get a hold of me. Yeah, yeah. I'll link to it. What? Uh, sure. So what's your, what's your Twitter handle? Twitter handle is my name, T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A. Okay, yeah, for sure. I'll link to it. And um, I'll link to More Than Just Code. I'll yeah. link to all the other Perfect. podcasts. And uh, if, uh, if people want to uh, contact you, like, uh, is there anything you particularly, any kind of questions you like fielding in particular, or are you sort of fair game? Yeah, fair game. Okay. <laughs> right on, right on. All right, well, thanks again, Tim. Thank you so much. And that's the show, ladies and gentlemen. I hope you enjoyed listening to the Swift Coders podcast. Feel free to share the show with a friend, leave a review on iTunes, or recommend us on Overcast. If you have any questions, comments, or just want to say hi, contact me on Twitter. Until next time, go swiftly, my friends. <laughs>